0: Welcome to Tinto Talks, the hub of all things perinatal. My name's Octavia and I will be talking about all things pregnancy-related and beyond. We'll be covering specialist topics from experts in the field and collect a spectrum of real-life stories from parents who've been there and done that. Our aim is to offer unbiased, evidence-based information but also shed light on the joys and challenges of parenthood to support each unique journey, there really is something here for everyone. Finally, if there's a topic that you want us to cover, let us know. But in the meantime, sit back, relax and prepare to feel supported, inspired and informed. We're finally at the end of our birth story series, following four mothers from just before their birth to a few weeks after. I think the way I start this interview really sums up how everyone's feeling at this point in time. Mid-Jan, lockdown mark three. Ugh. But it's another corker, so informative. It kind of feels like a blend of Tinto tales mixed with expert advice, as Tash has such a wonderful wise insight into her experience being a women's health physiotherapist. Hope you enjoy. Oh, how are you? I'm, I'm all I'm right,
1: actually. Yeah, I'm a, bit, I'm a little bit bored of the weather being so pants because I feel like we're stuck inside quite a lot, which is a bit groundhog day like at the moment We'd, we've started baby massage on um a tuesday morning so at least we've got one thing going a week
0: is that but, on Zoom, or
1: yeah everything is you know and i don't want to do too many zoom things because i don't want him like staring at a screen the whole time so i've got loads of sensory toys and we do all that play and we do tummy time and we have some time in the baby bouncer where he's watching some stuff on the television with colors and things like that and then He's got his baby gym and, and then like, well, he's in my sling for a little bit and we go out when it's nice in the pram and then we do everything all over again and then all over again. And
0: just think, Our like, options are playground, forest, playground, forest, trampoline, you know, and back again. Yeah. Oh, it's that time, thank God for that.
1: <laughs> I know, and it's, I don't know, it's such a shame in some respects because I don't see it getting anywhere near normal for the next few months. So most of this maternity leave is not going to be how we anticipated it as, as a partnership. We wanted to go away quite a lot and take him on holiday with us, things like that. But I was hoping obviously to catch up with more girls and go to some classes and and interact and have coffee mornings and just have friends over and go to friends' houses and change of of scenery and have other people hold him or her, whoever it was going to be at the time, you know, and all of that is just, it feels so far away at the moment. And I don't know how much of it will get before I go back to work. So it's just mother no this week as well with the weather being glum it's been a bit of a fuck me this is gonna you know this is gonna drag its heels a little bit but every day he changes you know he's doing so much more and he's progressing in his development which is lovely to see as well so there's always those pros that balance out those cons but
0: yeah it's tough and I think like you know in many ways it's it's good because it gives you that time to really kind of connect with them and and really you know I think when people have babies they often are bombarded with family coming over and that kind of actually feeling like they have to go to all these classes so actually but yeah I think that's just the balance isn't it Um, and it must be really frustrating like not being able to like show your baby off to people or even just you know Family, the
1: the family and friends, like you say, yes, it can be overwhelming. And we had a lot of doorstop visits, you know, before Christmas, which was lovely with people bringing over presents and cards and wanting to say hello from a distance, and and that was great. But you just think, you know, how many times could we have had someone over just for a cuppa, even if they just wanted to stop by for ten minutes, and even if it was only one or two people a week, it would just mean that there was a change of what we're doing at the moment. So, yeah, just feel like we're missing out on those kind of things currently and hoping that we can get some sort of return of the normality before my mat leave ends. Because I'll feel a bit hard done by going back to work in July and not having had the opportunity to do maybe some face to face classes or, you know, see, see a few friends and a few family when we want to, without it being dictated to us from the government, which obviously I completely understand. But yeah. I think this week it's just starting to sink in that this is going to be a bit of a tough month.
0: How many months were you planning on taking off then?
1: Um, I booked off nine in total and then with annual leave it takes me towards the end of July unless I decide to change that in the interim.
0: Maybe that's what you'll end up doing. Maybe you'll just have the rest of the summer off.
1: I'll have to see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've am i got quite a lot of annual leave now because and NHS for 10 years. So there's plenty to use if we felt that we could but it may just be... Better you could,
0: could have just over a year if you want
1: i think yeah it all kind of resides on whether the situation changes if, if things are relatively normal by the time i go back to work then i might extend it a bit longer yeah. if they're similar to what they are then i might as well go back to work and then you know take my annual leave to enjoy time where we can actually do things that we want to do and go and see people that we want to see and maybe go abroad and all that kind of stuff so
0: Somewhere I saw this quite nice thing that if you when all those times when you sit there and think about all the things you wish you want to do, it sounds a bit cheesy, but like get a jar and like write almost like a bucket list and just write it in there. And then when we are allowed out, you can start to go through all those things because.
1: That's a really nice idea, though, isn't it? Because then it's something to to pull out of a jar and it might be something really simple, like go out for lunch as a family Yeah, that you completely take for granted or took for granted, perhaps before all this kicked off last year. And you just think, oh my god, that would be lovely. You know, we can try our hand at having him with us at a dinner table and all that kind of stuff. So I, think I start doing that. I definitely, um, especially with the NCT girls chat group going on. You know, everyone's in the same boat at the moment. Like, what else is everyone doing to fill their day? We're sort of stuck in the routine of the same things and they're just a little bit too young to do that much more you know they're not moving so you kind of have to put them here and put them there and put them there and yeah. if you want to go out they're in a stationary container whether it's the pram or the sling and yeah, yeah it's very much there on you all the time and short lived attention spans for things like the baby gym and the bouncer you know you're lucky if you get 15 20 minutes
0: yeah.
1: um but yeah i mean hey i'm not the only one in this position i know there's lots and lots of other women are probably a lot worse off in terms of maybe not having their partners around or having twins and having to deal with it with their you know partners or whatever been away or working a lot so you know i don't want to sound like a a moaning myrtle as such but no it has it's been obviously very different to what i think everybody anticipated when they got pregnant for the first time and, and ended up having a lockdown pregnancy which seemed fine in the summer but then lockdown newborn baby in the winter is um it's definitely throwing up some challenges well you still got a lovely smile on your face so well done <laughs> uh, you know I, I keep having a word with myself as well like as hard as it might be you just keep thinking I'm so lucky he's perfect and we've got everything we need and we've still got our jobs and you know you have to count your blessings and be grateful for what you have and I think that keeps you grounded and stops you going a little bit deeper but You know, everyone has those days where you're just like, oh, God, what am I going to do today? The weather's awful. and We're going to do the the same thing over again. I still can't see anyone and everyone's moaning about it on social media and your friends are
0: checking in going, what are you up to? And you're like, oh, I'm just feeding. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be honest, that would be the same whether you're in lockdown or not. You would just be. (laughs) So how old is baby um, Elias now?
1: Elias will be, well, essentially he'll be 11 weeks at midnight tonight so essentially tomorrow really
0: amazing 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 no so, time. so we were planning on obviously doing this before Christmas and then it just all got a bit hectic so hopefully you can still remember what happened <laughs> during your birth um, but just to kind of um, recap um, you were planning a home birth and um, you had a nice uncomplicated pregnancy everything was going really really smoothly um, I think you'd got the Birthing pool at home. By the time we spoke last time, um, and you were just waiting patiently.
1: Yeah, indeed. So we'd we'd anticipated being able to go through with a home birth, and we we borrowed or rented out the birthing pool, and we practiced setting it up. And we we actually blew it up and left it inflated. I think once I was a couple of days overdue, just in case anything happened at any moment in time. Um, and yeah, sadly, we never got to use it. So I was, in the end, I was eight days overdue, so 41 plus one. And we were watching, I think it was The Hobbit or the third Hobbit movie, as, we, as you do, you know, <laughs> watching trilogies when you're bored. And it, that had finished in the evening and I'd stood up and had a cuddle with Mark and he was like, oh, we've had pizza. Do you fancy some ice cream? And I was like, oh my God, yeah, definitely. Um, and then when we were having a cuddle, I felt my waters break or I thought my waters were breaking I wasn't really sure yeah a bit weird and went to the toilet to sort of check colour consistency all the things that you get advised to do Um, and
0: what are the things you look you have to look for do you do you remember
1: um so the colour they said should be a sort of a straw like colour not too um, dense in colour not too much of an odour so kind of obvious that it wasn't urine thankfully and it wasn't blood and the recommendation at the time was if your waters broke especially if you were overdue was to call up the the labor ward have a chat with one of the the team there so called them up and they said oh if you think your waters are broken if you could come in then we'll do an assessment to make sure that it is the your waters that have been broken and nothing else and then that way we know that you're in you know a good position to think for things to go further
0: I was actually going when I was going through this I was quite surprised that they got you in because actually considering you were planning a home birth you'd think that they would I know obviously that I'm sure that you know we're in a pandemic and you know they're always very short- staffed but you'd think that planning a home birth you would want everything at home and you would thought they would might have sent the midwife round to you to check
1: yeah I didn't really think of that at the time I'm not sure whether the you know the midwives would always see me in normal daytime hours and whether it was a case of they were more short staffed of an evening and seeing women that were already having home births i don't know but it was no hardship it was sort of half past nine ten o'clock so it was very quiet at the hospital and they had the staff to do it so i guess if we lived further away that might have been another spanner in the works as to whether we did that or not but mark dropped me off because unfortunately he wasn't allowed to come to most things at that period of time. And yeah, just had a quick examination with the the midwife and one of her students was with her as well, which was fine by me by this point, because obviously we all medical people, physios, we know that it's important to be able to see and experience student placements. So they both kind of had a bit of a conversation, did a quick, um, like a speculum, almost vaginal exam, just to check what was going on. And they said, oh yeah, I think you're already a few centimeters dilated and it's all good took my blood pressure, et cetera, and sent me on my way saying that hopefully overnight I'd go into sort of spontaneous labour and then I wouldn't have to come in again. And But if I didn't go into spontaneous labour by 24 hours after my waters broke, which would have been 9pm the following day, then they would have advised me to come back in because the risk of infection then escalates quite highly, um, not just for me, but for baby especially. So I said, okay, that's fine. Yep. So I went home and I got the Freya app out and I was sort of timing what I thought were my contractions. And they were quite few and far between. There was not a strict rhythm with them, but there was definitely things happening that I hadn't felt before.
0: now, Now you look back on it. Do you think that they were Braxton Hicks?
1: I probably would say so, given what I experienced after. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time I was like, oh, there's definitely, you know, tightenings and maybe that's a better word to use actually. Um, and I slept quite nicely that night and the next day woke up thinking, oh, this is the day, this is the day, you know, but the contractions had kind of dwindled down a little bit. So I was like, right, what can I do? The weather was quite nice. So I did everything that the book says, is in the book, you know, what can I do to get labour to come on? So I went for a walk. I was sitting on the gym ball doing sort of pelvic tilts and little bounces and all of the stuff. You know, we'd had a curry that night as well to see if that was going to help to egg things on a little bit more. The
0: worst, can I just say, it's the worst thing to do for many reasons, because if, if you do... Like the reflux, <laughs> like the, you, when you tell us what happened with you, then it's the worst thing as well. If you need to go to the loo, not a great idea either. There is actually, um, on the in the show notes at the end of this, and every pretty much everything that we talk about here, I put in the show notes links to things. So it talks about kind of waters breaking early. We're going to talk about Braxton Hicks. It talks about everything. And then the nice guidelines. Um, they've got um, the guidelines for induction. They've also got all the guidelines for alternative methods of inducing um labor birth or labor um and and all of the evidence behind it and there's everything from having sex to pineapple all sorts of stuff so have a have a look if you want carry on so so you had your curry
1: yeah i mean i don't think that was Purposeful. I think it was already on the cards for that night's dinner because we were sort of preparing a little bit further ahead. But either way, it was one of those things like, "Oh, shall I have pineapple for dessert?" You know, the classic cliche things. And I looked into all the evidence around it, and it's so minimal for absolutely everything. It's and by this, buying
0: it though, you're like, it was the pineapple.
1: <laughs> and by this point, as well, um I think it was maybe four or five days before my waters broke even having sex was was uncomfortable because I was just so big by this point that there was just no, nothing was comfortable anymore. And then because my waters had broken, that was also a risk of infection. They said I recommend not to do that. So that one was cancelled off the list. But anyway, that, unfortunately that day, nothing really materialised in terms of progress from where I'd left the hospital the night before. So Mark dropped me off again the following evening. So this is now uh 41 plus two days um, and went in and got assessed in the day unit and again had a a midwife and one of their other students so I got to meet all the students that were on placement which was nice you know getting to chat with them things like that and um yeah they, they did an assessment on me and said about you know unfortunately because you're you've now not had any amniotic fluid for the best part of 24 hours that's where the risk of infection comes up um for you and baby so we're just going to put uh, some straps on your tummy and monitor the baby's heart rate it should take about 15 minutes so we they do like a bit of a trace they kind of watch what's going on mm. and unfortunately it was quite high so I, I didn't know what i was having boy or girl but i'm going to say he because mm. obviously i now know what he is um but his heart rate was quite high for quite a long period of time so they kept saying oh we're going to keep you just another 15 minutes we just want to see if it stabilizes and because of that as well, they popped me on a Hartman's drip to up my fluid intake again, because I'd lost my fluid, even though i had been drinking what I thought was plenty. Obviously, wasn't enough internally to keep my mm-hmm. fluid balance and my blood pressure managed. So um, anyway, so I was in the day unit for the best part of an hour, having these monitoring monitoring from the midwife staff. And then they said, you know, it's completely up to you. The heart rate has stabilized. Baby's heart rate has stabilized a little bit. You can go home if you want to sleep in your own beds. And again, if nothing happens overnight, then we'd recommend you come in first thing in the morning um, to uh, to kind of get things going, perhaps with an induction. Or if you wish, you can just stay here now and we can get going with it this evening. And I spoke to Mark on the phone and I just sort of we discussed things and I just said, look, I don't see the point in going home for what would have been maybe eight hours if that, by the time I'd left and gone and come back again, I might as well stay and get the ball rolling now. And then I know I'm in good hands. And I didn't have any qualms with that by this point, I already kind of knew that the home birth and the pool was gonna be out the window. So I said, yes, I'll stay and I'll, I'll have uh, the induction. And because my waters had broken already, it was what they call like level two induction. So I didn't have to have a pessary. It was a, an IV uh, prostin drip. So before they put that in, you have to go through at the moment your COVID swabs. So can you can we swab your nose and your mouth? And they did it for me. Um, and unfortunately, I gagged so much with the one in the back of my mouth and my tonsils that I threw up my lovely curry dinner. Um, which, well, a student nurse, <laughs> yeah, student midwife, you know, it wasn't her fault You tickling your, your tonsils. Um, I've done it since and it's horrible to do it on yourself, let alone someone else doing it on you. But sadly, yeah, sadly lost my dinner. So the start to the evening perhaps wasn't the best when they say you need to fuel up for your labor, you know, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, I felt OK after that. And the, the prostin was ivy infused and it really didn't take very long for the contractions to start. And by which point I'd called Mark and said, can you bring my overnight bag because I'm going to stay in, etc. And again, sadly, he wasn't allowed anywhere near the day unit because it was only um, the women in that particular uh, department. So he had to drop it off at the door, and one of the nursing staff or the midwives went to get my bag and, and brought it back to me, by which point it felt like it was about midnight or something. It was getting quite late. How did you feel about being on your own? Um, I think because the contractions were ramping up so much, I didn't mind so much, and because they said I wasn't massively dilated, I wasn't fearful that mark was going to miss out at all I don't know. I had the kind of an intrinsic feeling that this was going to be a little bit longer than yeah. than just a few hours so that was actually
0: kind so of what, nice. like what, were you on your own in a room or was someone
1: with you so once I had the infusion put in and then they'd taken me off the Hartman's and taken me off the drip and um, they'd moved me into a bay where I was one of four and there were three other ladies in there also going through the motions of having been induced oh, in the day and um, so we we're all taking it in turns to have our moments of moaning <laughs> and groaning, everyone had their curtains pulled. Obviously, it's not not embarrassing, but you just kind of want that sense of privacy where you can't have your partners there and and whatnot. So, yeah, by this point, I'd moved into that room probably about half past 12, midnight-wise. Um, and I thought oh, I need to try and get some rest because these are getting quite uncomfortable. And obviously, I didn't have any energy by this point. I'd had all that day as well of walking and bouncing and everything else. So I tried to get some sleep, but man, those contractions having got that induction were just something else. So I was buzzing the bells like, have you got any pain relief? I need to take something like these are really, 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 really sore, which made me think the day before that they were only Braxton Hicks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Reality (laughs) kicks in. I I remember when I was pregnant, so when I was in labor with Azalea, I was texting my friends on the first day being like, this is a four out of 10. This is nothing like this is totally manageable. And then like, you know a day later I was like oh my god okay I can't even stand up or kneel or walk or go anywhere I was like wow um so mm-hmm. did you were you using any techniques to kind of manage your pain before uh, before that point like were you breathing were you you know counting were you going to your happy place like what were you doing <laughs> like panicking
1: now yeah. I, I was trying to utilize a little bit of the hypno hypnobirthing so trying to concentrate on deep breathing I was also trying to get myself into positions that I felt were more comfortable which in some respect is all good in hindsight because you know what you should be doing but in reality it really depends on how you feel at that moment in time um, and I had a hospital chair and a bed to pick from in terms of equipment that I could position myself on and I started on the bed and actually found that I was more comfortable in sitting so I ended up sitting in the chair so I could be more upright which helped with my breathing and also I could grip the arms of the chair which really helped. (laughs) Um, Nails breaking into the (laughs) word. I don't recall now trying to get myself to a happy place I think I was a little bit too consumed by how uncomfortable things were and how fast the contractions were coming you know you'd have two or three minutes what felt like really severe pain and then almost it felt like no time at all before they came again you know that reprieve was
0: really short-lived and um, before you had the um, injection the the IV did they talk to you about did they offer you an epidural because I know obviously you were going for a home birth so on your birth plan they would have assumed that you would have wanted things to be kind of as as natural as possible however like it's pretty well known that being induced is is much more painful than than having um just going into labor naturally so um it's interesting they didn't offer you an epidural
1: not at that time I think part of that might have been again I was on the day unit I wasn't on the labor ward so this is very much just um like an introduction to women that are starting the the journey of labor and should have I have progressed certainly with more dilation a lot quicker then I would have been moved to a more appropriate room within the labour ward or or a bay whereby that might have been an option at that time but I think they sort of knew by just kind of coming round and assessing every now and again that I wasn't anywhere near ready to to drop and so that wasn't an offer because also it was a um it wasn't a well-manned ward so I would have moved to the labour ward in order to get any further intervention of you know surgical or in intervention as in, in management, you know, yeah. Or whatever. yeah exactly
0: yeah,
1: yeah fine so you buzz the buzzer
0: get me the epidural
1: <laughs> yeah well I didn't quite say it just then but I, when I was on the day unit I did have I think I started with paracetamol didn't really help and then I had some cocodamol didn't really help And then they upped it right at the end, which must have been about 5 a.m. to some Oromorph. And I really didn't think that even touched the sides either. And I was like, God, I always prided myself on having really good pain threshold. And this was just something else, you know. So it got to about seven o'clock. I was awake anyway. I didn't sleep particularly well at all. You know, as I say, it was just constant. And I kept having to go to the toilet. I looked like an old lady walking up the corridor, you know, (laughs) trying trying to deal with the contractions. And um, I had a banana actually first thing in the morning because Mark had packed the bag and and popped some snacks in it. But that's all I felt up to eating because I just felt quite weak and I felt a little bit you know uncomfortable. And then literally eight o'clock, which was what was promised as such, the midwife from the labour ward came to collect me when that was when the shift change was to take me over to the labour ward. And it was wonderful. We had well, I say we. I had my own room, um, and they popped me on the bed and the monitor back on my tummy to see how the baby was getting on and did all my observations and just kind of let me rest a little bit as such. Um whilst I called Mark and said, Oh, do you want to come come in? You know, they've said I need to call you. And he was like, is it happening? And I was like, well, I don't know. They've asked me to call you, I guess so. So he came, he must have got there in about 30, 40 minutes time. And he got there sort of anticipating this imminent birth. And I was like, I don't think
0: any gonna happen for a little while can you imagine the panic from his side like when he gets that phone call and he's like oh my god (laughs) he said I didn't know I rushed here I
1: left my crumpets and my coffee like hot on the side I didn't even touch them I've just come straight here bless him so
0: yeah
1: so the morning was just a kind of case of I I was still quite uncomfortable to put it mildly I think Mark took a photo of me in that in the heat of my no pain relief labor um, having been induced. And even though the prostin is only six hour sort of release, that had obviously kick-started my contractions, like jump starting a car and I was running and it was going and it was going. Um, and they got to 10 o'clock and Mark had been there so maybe half an hour, 40 minutes. And I just said to the midwife, Look, I really need some pain relief. What can I have? And she said, Well, you've had this and you've had that. If you haven't really felt that it's helped you, then you, you look in at something a little bit more invasive. And I was like, I'm happy to have an, have an epidural. Please give me an epidural. I've had no sleep. I've basically got an empty stomach. I've had all night of this, barely any rest at all. I'm, I know my body well enough to know that this, this can't ride out too much longer. And she read me my rights and just said, yes, you know, these are the risks and the benefits. And I was like, yep, yeah, that's absolutely fine. So it's good, all informed consent. Mm-hmm. And by about half past 10, 11 o'clock, The anaesthetist has come over and set me up on an epidural, popped it in. And I think within about half an hour, the pain subsided. I could still have some sensation in my legs. It was a little bit like having an injection in your your tooth when you go to the dentist. And I could feel pressure, but I didn't have active sensation. And the best part of it, the contraction pain was gone. So even though I was having those contractions, which they could see on the monitor from baby, I wasn't feeling them anymore. And because of that, I got to have spontaneous sort of 30 minutes of sleep here 45 minutes of sleep here which must have been really boring for Mark you know he he turned up anticipating this imminent birth and he ended up being on the ipad and checking his phone and but he wasn't really supposed to leave the room so he was very much stuck with me on that journey then which was nice because at least we did it together
0: in 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 a lot of circumstances your partner will be there and I mean Phil was with me from for like the, the whole three days I was at hospital and you know i, I think you know it's it is hard for them because they're not involved not only are they watching you in pain they can't leave the room even if you without covert because you need them there with you so you know it's important that you pack snacks for them as well <laughs> like you know phil was there like munching sandwiches and all sorts of you know but i think like they yeah i think it's i always think it must be really strange for the, the husbands because they basically are just watching their partners, all the, you know, not just the husbands, the wives, but but they're watching their partners just be tortured, basically, like, you know, kind of slow drawn out process um, that's getting progressively more tiring and more challenging Um, but then equally every contraction, as they say, is bringing you a little bit closer to that baby and, you know, the excitement and the anticipation and yeah, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, and I think he was excited, but also sort of not really sure what his job was when he was in that room. And unfortunately, because of the COVID situation, he wasn't allowed to leave the room to go to the cafe or to go and grab some lunch somewhere else and come back. So did that was it. A was it
0: was like... Or, you know, fan you or uh, you see... yeah, so yeah, What's he that?
1: did. He did, yes. Yeah. So he fanned me when I was quite warm and turned the fan on because there was a fan in the room, thankfully. He also helped me move my legs a little bit if I needed to change position because I didn't have full active control once the um, epidural had set in. Um, Got me my drinks, you know, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, when you have an epidural, you're not allowed to eat anymore. So I was literally going through labour on a banana, uh, which wasn't ideal. You know, I had all these pre-planned snacks that were in the bag. So Mark ended up working his way through those.
0: Love it. Um, Did you, um, um, you have your tunes on? Did you manage to put some music on? Yeah, we didn't actually put the music on.
1: Until sort of probably early evening, to be honest, Um, I was just I was so tired. I was just drifting in and out of sleep, which I definitely needed for that end part. So he was busying himself on the iPad. I was, to say, having a little sleep and a bit of a drink here and there, and they were just monitoring baby and everything was calm for a period of time. time. Um, And timing wise, now I just I can't remember what it was, but. I was, I think the next time I'd got monitored was probably sort of mid-afternoon, and they said that I was about six centimeters dilated, which was really good progress. They kept saying, "You're doing really well," and I was like, "Okay, great, thanks." Um, That's a fun thing to hear, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, which was promising. At least we were going in the right direction and things were stable at that particular point. Um, And then at that point, they were like, "Right, okay, well, you know, you're six centimeters. You've not had any um, additional help apart from obviously the epidural for pain relief." We might offer you the um, synthetic oxytocin, which is like the level three um, induction just to help speed things up. Because you've now obviously been in labor over 12 hours and your waters have broken 36 hours ago. So all of these things are accumulating risks that can turn a bit nasty when baby comes along. And I was like, yeah, absolutely fine. So they again, it's an IV thing. And I already had my cannula in from the uh, the first lot of uh, bits and pieces I had the day before, so the Hartman's and stuff and I had Hartman's on as well. So it's like, yeah, just add it to the mix. Just keep through.
0: Yeah. Give me anything and everything. <laughs>
1: know, whatever it was. So they popped that in. And the great thing was having the epidural, I wasn't able to feel the severity of the contractions pick up. So even though I'd had that next level of induction, I was just going with it. You know, I was able to sleep see
0: really. a lot, lots of people describe the thing going, the, the, the reading going off the scale I
1: see the monitor from where I was lying but I could still feel contractions but without the pain so I could feel the tightening and then it would go um, and nothing got to the point of uncomfortable to, to the point where I needed to keep using the PCA so that the epidural um, control. Fast forward to about eight nine o'clock I think it was about nine o'clock and the um, they sort of did another assessment they were like well oh, you know dilating nicely and contractions are coming along can you stop using the, the PCA? I want you to wean down off whatever the epidural you've got in your system at the moment and we're going to start to push but you're going to be able to push better when you have at least the sensation of those contractions and I was like, yeah, that's fine. So I think it was about 10 o'clock that I started to push um, with the help of the midwives in terms of talking me through how, not how long to push for but how to do it properly because it's very much for anyone that hasn't had a baby yet it's very much like going to the toilet and passing a stool, isn't it? You, you're pushing away from all the other stuff that you'd normally do which is kind of a strange sensation when you've got your legs akimbo in a room full of people but it was it was really encouraging and she was able to sort of observe at the time of me pushing what was happening to some extent with the birth canal so and what position were you in so I had a few different positions at this point I had sort of like a I couldn't get off the bed obviously because my legs were not my own (laughs) because of the epidural but they could adjust the bed into almost a high sitting position with my legs apart, which was perfect because then obviously you've got that gravity assisted position. So I did that for a period of time and then had a bit of rest maybe half an hour later. And then I tried a little bit more in a sideline position as well, but again, one leg had to be up in a stirrup so they could keep observation.
0: That's interesting. I don't. I haven't heard many people doing sideline. Why did you choose that? Was it just because of comfort or did they advise that?
1: Yeah, so I found that even though I couldn't feel my legs, my bum was feeling quite numb because I've been on the bed since nine, eight, eight o'clock, nine o'clock that morning. This was 9 p.m. So 12 hours is even though they were sort of Mark was helping the midwives roll me onto my side for various parts of the day it's a long time to not be on your feet and up and about. So tried a bit of side lying. And then ultimately we ended up in um, sort of like a semi recumbent lying position and my feet were in stirrups. And that was purely because we'd got to 11 o'clock and baby's heart rate had started to get a little bit sporadic and um, erratic. And they said, look, you know, we really need to get baby out now The it's not so stable. They've been in for, you know, almost the best part of two days without any amniotic fluid. We yeah. can see them in the birth canal. We might need to just assist the birth a little bit. And the doctor came in and told me that. And I said, oh, does that mean I need a, an episiotomy? And he said, yeah, that would be the idea. We just, you know, do a little cut. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, I, I work in women's health as a women's health physio. I'm, I'm happy with it. Let's just do it. So he prepped himself and did all the swabs and whatnot. And they brought the kit into the room. I didn't have to go to theatre, thankfully.
0: Um, So apparently nine um up to nine in ten first-time mothers um who have a vaginal birth have some sort of tear graze or episiotomy which i didn't realize was so high like it's it's really high i I had some stitches i had like grazes but i don't think they were kind of really considered as a tear but um i mean a lot of people i speak to have had some form of tear or the episiotomy but i really didn't know it was that that many and it's basically the episiotomy is basically if the baby's um in distress as you said or needs to be born quickly yeah. um and um also if you're going to be thinking about using some sort of assisted um delivery or if there's a risk of tear towards the anus and about one in seven deliveries have the episiotomy which again is quite high Like it's i think from my women's health experience having any
1: episiotomy at that point in time is probably a safe safer option and better for the mum as well as the baby mm-hmm. rather than delivering quickly and tearing yeah. because the incision is purposeful it's neat and yeah. it's much better healing yeah. whereas a tear anything can happen i remember being in the labor ward when i was working at guys and Tommies in the women's health department and i was observing various different labours over a couple of days to experience everything that you experience and the lady that I saw ended up having quite a quick labour and baby literally came shooting out because she'd done this one big massive push and she sustained quite a nasty 3b tear and she was bleeding quite heavily and then she got taken to theatre and you
0: you explain
1: what 3b tear is? uh, Yeah so 3b tear so grade three is where it's gone through your Perineum and three b means that it started to impact a little bit on your um external um anal sphincter and a little bit deeper towards your internal anal sphincter. So it's not completely all the way through the perineum, but it's yeah, it's involving your your bottom passage, which then has more complications, obviously afterwards, whereby you might have fecal problems and fecal incontinence, whereas, grade two tears are very much just um the the muscle bellies of the perineum and your bottom your anus isn't isn't so much disrupted but so for me having an episiotomy rather than tearing was quite a easy decision to make having seen the
0: women i've seen and the work i've done so with the episiotomy they do an incision that goes um what is it kind of midway down um the labia off to the side um
1: yeah so they basically so your vaginal opening if you like your vulval opening if we're going to be specific is called your int- intritus and they they depending on the hand the dominant hand of the doctor nine times out of ten if they're right-handed then they will do the incision to the woman's right hand side so diagonally down from the bottom of the intraitis sort of towards your ischial tuberosity or your bottom bone for those who don't know what that is um, and it's not particularly long I think it was about three centimetres but it's just enough space then for baby to pass through dependent on whether they're straight or twisted, or, you know, if they needed to do an assisted birth, which they did with me. And he just said, you know, we'd like to get baby out. We can't use the Von because I can see baby's head and baby's already got a bit of a a bump on the head. So we're going to use the forceps. And I was like, that's fine. As much as I, at the beginning, hated the thought of anything like that whatsoever. I wanted the best for my baby. At this point in time, I was happy to have whatever was going to be the safest option.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's that's something that I had the same feelings you when you first told me this. I was like, oh my god, you had a four steps delivery, and I think it's the the, the horror stories that you hear that come with assisted deliveries and you know it's often by that point you are in a bit of an emergency situation so it can be quite rushed where whereas when you describe it it does sound like it was you know very kind of it was probably like the perfect forceps delivery if you could have a perfect forceps delivery you said about the swelling on the head what was that from So
1: I found out afterwards, once he was born, that he had this bumpy head. And most people think, oh, that kind of cone shape comes from the forceps. But actually, I was managing to time my pushing with the contractions. And so once the doctor had actually popped the forceps in, he timed the delivery with my contraction so actually rather than having to pull him out he just assisted him out just to make sure there was no complications which meant that it was less aggressive on on my anatomy but it was also less aggressive on baby's head so what it was called i only found this out two days after whenever it was that the doctor came over and did the initial assessment um it's called cephalic Hematoma, that's the word, my baby brain, sorry, cephalic hematoma. And essentially, it's a collection of blood uh, on a part of the head. And the most likely reason for that was because my waters had broken. He had no amniotic fluid surrounding him and he was head down. His head was then resting on my pelvis for a good period of time before I was able to give birth. And so that resting position had basically caused a bit of bruise, which was the swelling which again was something I was having to read up about because it wasn't something I was familiar with Mm. and once we'd got home and the midwives were coming to check us they um they sort of said yeah it can take anything between six and 12 weeks to resolve but it's generally okay if you've got any obviously concerns then go back and see the team etc etc but so yeah he had a bit of a lumpy head when he came out but when he was delivered which was as I say timed and it was assisted as opposed to
0: I mean it makes it sounds really gentle it almost sounds like the doctor just you know put his you know his tools in and just guided the baby out which just is never how I imagine a forceps delivery to be
1: but he said to me as well he said just to let you know I didn't actually actively have to pull I just guided the baby's head out and I said yeah that's great because I didn't feel anything different I just felt you know the delivery of the baby and he came out and luckily he wasn't blue or badly miscolored he was a little bit Mucky as they all are, and had a bit of a bumpy head, but he was crying quite quickly, which was good. Obviously, you don't want them to cry, but you do because you know that their airways are nice and clean. Yeah, and um, and yeah, that was that. You know, and it was all it was done and dusted that little last period of time very very quickly. And Mark, thankfully, was at the head end of the <laughs> of the business going on, thankfully, and. Um, I, I can just remember looking at him. I think he was sort of more tired and nervous than I was almost just kind of watching having to go through it.
0: The men, and- honestly, they're just so so funny. Like I remember after I'd given birth, Phil fell asleep on my bed and I came I came back from the loo and he wasn't passed out. I was like, excuse me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, later later that night. Um, so what? so after he was born, we had a bit of skin to skin, which was lovely. And that was part of my birth plan. One of the only parts I think I managed to actually tick off the list. And we actually managed to do a little bit of cord clamping, uh, delayed cord clamping. Sorry. So we waited for the cord to go white, which actually didn't take longer than about a minute. But they didn't want to delay things too much longer because he was overdue and he was um uh sort of without the amniotic fluid for such a long time they had the pediatrician come in and do a full assessment of him as well mm-hmm. so mark staunchly did not want to cut the cord he's not someone who likes the blood and the guts and the gore but everything was happening quite quickly and the midwife kind of had the baby in her arms sort of leaning on me essentially and uh, the doctor's like right here's the Here's the kind of the scissors to mark, and he was like, "Oh, oh no, I don't, I don't want to cut it." And he was like, "Just, just make sure you don't cut the wrong thing," you know, jokingly, because we'd found out it was a boy because they'd hold up. And he actually cut the cord in the end, which is something that he didn't want to do, but I think it was just that momentary happening of, of really
0: everything true. going in the room.
1: <laughs> so he cut the cord. Baby got checked by the pediatrician, and they wanted to take him off to fit him with a cannula and do prophylactic antibiotics just in case there were any risks of infection so they took him out the room not immediately so we had a chance to have some skin-to-skin time and I was getting stitched up and whatever else and I'd delivered the placenta so they gave me the injection to deliver the placenta quite quickly fine in my eyes Mm -hmm. and they said there was a bit of an odor to the placenta which added to the query of infection which is why they then decided to take him to the neonatal unit and um, pop him full of antibiotics. So Mark got to do the first dressing of uh, of Elias. We didn't choose the name straight away. We sort of, it was just baby boy to begin with. And as um, I said, everything in bags in my hospital bag, you know, vests, cardigans, baby grows, everything that you could possibly need. And they put a hat on straight away. And so he found all those bits and pieces and the midwife was kind of guiding him through. And we'd only practised, well, Mark had only practised on a on a towel baby with the NCT classes. So this was like a whole different kettle of fish. Love it. Um, so, yeah, I got him dressed and, yeah, probably about half an hour after he was born, he was just taken away for 20 minutes to have some IV antibiotics and a cannula put in.
0: I wonder, um, I wonder if you can insist on staying with them. I know, obviously, you were being stitched up, so it's a difficult one, but... Well, I I just know some midwives are very keen on keeping the parent, the mother and the baby together mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, you know, um, breastfeeding or just that kind of interact, you know, just coming to terms with the fact that you've just had a baby. And I think, consider- I mean, obviously you want to make sure that everybody is safe. But again, I wonder if you'd piped up and said, I want to go with him. I wonder if they'd waited or... I don't know whether it would have made a difference. Or but. I'm not sure, to be honest, I don't think it even crossed my mind.
1: As I say, the whole experience ends up being quite a little, quite a, yeah, almost surreal. You know, I was full of drugs, empty of food, had no energy, was depleted. Yeah. Um, and again, you just kind of think, well, they've got the babies and your best intentions at heart. And at the time he left, as I say, I was getting stitched up by the doctor, and they were sort of examining my placenta. I also couldn't have walked or got into a wheelchair easily because I still had the epidural in, which was still had like three hours before they could take that out and um, or before I could actually do anything on my legs sort of um, safely. So I'm not sure how that would have worked, but I. There would have
0: been a lot more staff going with you, etc. Yeah, really
1: this is at a time where the labour ward was really stretched. I mean, I feel really grateful in reflection that we managed to have our own room. I know women that have had to obviously give birth in. Bays with other women, which has got got to be a lot more difficult. um I thought we had fantastic care from the nurses to the um, midwife and the midwife's assistants, the doctors that came in. We had a couple of consultants at a few moments in time as well, doing various checks. The paediatrician, no qualms. And I think maybe maybe I was more privileged in some respect because of the job we do and the understanding that I had from a medical perspective rather than just a new mother's perspective. That I wasn't concerned that I
0: let him go maybe i yeah, just yeah. Yeah. i think you're right i think you know you one is in such a blur and i think the drugs have a big impact but it's just like little things like that you know so that might spin somebody out you know suddenly the baby kind of being whisked away and um but yeah it's just a little little things that you kind of don't really think about until afterwards that you know they're so keen about you know you having skin to skin and you know keep staying with the baby and you know just um but then, you know, it's funny, sometimes I think, you know, as I know, as a medical professional myself, sometimes you can get carried away with doing the job that you're supposed to do rather than remembering that you're dealing with human beings and a family and, a, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, you've got to kind of remember the kind of, like, Uh, emotional side of things as well as the kind of medical side of it you know so yeah Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you even though obviously things didn't quite go to your original plan you actually again thankfully had a really positive birth experience and yeah, I think I'd call it positive I
1: mean we did probably manage to do three or four things from the desired birth plan as I say we managed to do the delayed cord clamping we managed to um, do immediate skin to skin we did have the playlist on for the sort of later stages of labour and the, the actual sort of breathing and pushing phases. So had all this kind of chill out music going on. In fact, Elias was the name that we've, uh, we have decided on, the, our little boy. He um, he was born to that um, Icelandic group, to that song, Hippie, Hippie Plåla or something like that. Happy Plåla, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's a Sigur Rós song anyway, so that will always kind of remind me of the time when I gave birth with that song playing in the background. So quite relaxed stuff considering what was going on, but it, it definitely helped. However, I'm kind of glad I didn't have it on the whole time because it was... little bit of a distraction in the background and I have heard various birth stories obviously in the lead up to my own where women are sick and tired of having their their music on and actually just having that silence is is more golden so
0: I I ended up choosing like um you know music that you listen to when you when you go and have a massage it's like really generic kind of like literally almost like whale music kind of like you know just really relaxing but like you would never be able to recognize it anywhere because I thought if I put on my favorite songs and it's just, it's gonna ruin them for me. <laughs> like, I'm always gonna be triggered every time I
1: hear those sounds. With lyrics as well can be problematic because you're listening to the lyrics and you're not in the moment. Whereas when you go for a massage or you have a spa, like you say, it's all kind of, it's just music, it's just tunes and therefore yeah. you can't sing along or hum along to it. It's just there in the background. So
0: exactly. yeah, note,
1: notes for next time.
0: My, my sister at the end, because she was there, she, she was like, can we turn off this bloody whale music? <laughs> Now the baby's here.
1: Please can we turn this off? <laughs> so funny. Uh, I, do. I think we must have listened to it at least twice through. Because I was like, oh, I've heard this one now. And it was quite a long playlist as well. <laughs> we spent quite a long time putting it together. But now I'm glad we got to follow some of it. It didn't go to my original birth plan. As I find out, most first births don't. But I have no bad words to say about my experience and only good words and gratefulness towards all the staff that helped us from the community team who were seeing us at home and actually my designated, if you like, community midwife who'd done quite a few of my home visits for the preparation of the home birth, she actually came in to do the final delivery with me, so she took over the shift of the girl in the day and um, yeah.
0: She called them to come in?
1: Yeah, they called her because she was working that evening. To assist me in hospital, whereas I would have normally been at home. So really nice continuity care. Care.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I wasn't expecting it It was really really nice. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think your job obviously has helped this, but you know all of the decisions that were made. It sounds like you had a really good kind of understanding of what they were. You again obviously were told by the staff, you know, the consequences or the you know the the pros and cons of each of them. But it was really you know true informed consent each time which would help you with that kind of calm acceptance you know when you decide or when the doctor comes in and says right we're going to need to use the four steps and give you an episiotomy instead of just kind of immediately clamping up and being filled with fear about that you were like okay this is absolutely fine I'm ready for this you know and you were able to work with the doctor and and maybe that again would have a better impact in terms of how that process would have gone as well.
1: Definitely and I think if you can inform yourself of all the possibilities that birth can throw at you and you understand what they consist of then at least nothing hopefully would be a nasty surprise which would then raise your anxiety and make the experience probably a bit more negative so as much as it wasn't physically what I wanted it didn't affect me mentally because I understood what the different options were and why they would they were going through those options. And that's not me being a health professional. That was just understanding because we'd done the reading. It was actually covered in NCT as well, which I would recommend if anyone's watching this and they're not sure whether to do it or not. If you're a first time parent, mum, dad, whatever, it's a very, very good course to do because all these things help you to understand more. You know, it's definitely not like what they portray on the television programs. And that's enough to scare people the more informed you are about anything so knowledge is power isn't it essentially that cliche term but if you you know more then you'll be more confident more calm and that can only lead to a better experience when it comes to your birth which hopefully then means without having that negativity that you're more likely to be positive and that emanate through to your baby when you're breastfeeding and you're having that time with them that calm and also for potential future births as well because i've got people you know, friends and colleagues from the past who had quite traumatic first births and they've stopped there. They haven't wanted any more children because of that. That is
0: so sad. That is just so, so sad. A, that, you know, people are are allowed to continue with trauma like that for so long without support, but also the idea of stopping making the family that you want to have just because of the fear of something that, you know, could be a lot better and and doesn't have to be like that and you do have options and obviously everybody would prefer to have you know the so-called natural vaginal birth without intervention you know that goes really smoothly but if it doesn't go like that a it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be like that the next time b if you really want to you can have an elective cesarean you but you can have an epidural at least from the beginning you know like you do have options and yeah I think it's so important to address your trauma if you if you if you do feel traumatized by your birth because well just like you would with any trauma you know like you it's the more you kind of face up to it and deal with it the the better you the more you can move on and the less it should affect you
1: yeah definitely I mean there's only so much preparation you can do some people will know absolutely everything and still have a traumatic birth unfortunately that's just the way that life is but like you say it's really important to try and recognize the difference perhaps between baby blues and PTSD you know post-traumatic stress Um, disorder you've actually had a really stressful event in your life and if it's dictating how you feel and how you act and how you are as a mother and a wife or a partner or whatever then it's important that you know that there are places that you can go or people that you can speak to to help you get over it because I can't think of anything harder I mean being a new new first time mum is hard enough on its own let alone having any additional mental health issues attached to it and and kind of reliving that trauma on a regular basis
0: so how has your recovery been
1: Recovery, thankfully, has been quite good. So having had the episiotomy meant that I had cuts and then some stitches. So normal soft tissue healing around about six weeks before that starts to feel more comfortable and everything else. And actually, it didn't feel too sore. Um, I was only really more aware of it if my legs were apart a little bit, if I was sort of getting in and out of a chair um, or I was in the shower and I was kind of having a bit of a wash. So I was quite pleased with that.
0: What about going to the loo?
1: Yeah, so going to the loo, thankfully, I never had an issue with um, passing urine. I didn't have any stinging or anything like that. So I wasn't needing to do the kind of the jugs of warm water or anything like that. I did have a lot of bleeding. So the lockier um, following birth, so constantly changing pads. And unfortunately, having a fresh wound and then bleeding a lot and wearing a pad all the time or wearing pants all the time meant that it wasn't getting much air to it. And I think that generally just delays things just a little bit, not, not in a big way, but enough that it always felt a little bit damp down there, no matter how clean and tidy that you kept things.
0: You also used ice pads, didn't you?
1: Yeah. So I used, I was freezing some of the, um, the thick sort of maternity pads, putting them in the freezer um, and then using those because it just provided that little bit of gentle relief what else
0: there's actually quite a lot of evidence behind that having a big effect on pain which again i've got that in the in the show notes um yep. and you can um if you go onto amazon <laughs> or wherever you buy your products and um, you can buy um these pads that you reuse and you pop them in the freezer and um they're really good and there's also this spray um that is by um it's called uh, spritz for bits which is by this midwife um and it's amazing. I, I bought it for my friend recently and she raved about it. And it's got witch hazel in it, I think, and like all these natural essences yeah. in the water that basically just kind of have natural antibacterial um, kind of products in them and just help keep it clean and help it healing. And you obviously want to be looking out for signs of infection um, like yeah. smell, oozing, all those sorts of things, red hot feeling
1: unwell yeah absolutely i mean don't forget as well even without the F, um the episiotomy that whole area is going to be a bit swollen and a bit sore so that's why the ice works so well because ice really helps with that initial swelling and the, the bits i did buy and i did use spraying that on my pads as well yeah. to try and sort of promote that extra healing downstairs because it's an area that is just so sensitive isn't it so you were trying to do everything that you could but i think the third thing for me which was the most problematic more so than my um, my episiotomy was I ended up having some hemorrhoids which I know is really really common post-birth post-vaginal birth, post vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know having pushed for quite a period of time and not really knowing how hard I was pushing because I had the epidural probably yeah. led, led to maybe more or more severity of them um, than I would have had previous but that was more uncomfortable for me because I found it really uncomfortable to sit down around my back passage I found it even uncomfortable passing urine just because everything kind of relaxes and your pelvic floor relaxes when you do that. So part of the reason to use the frozen pads and everything else wasn't just for the episiotomy and the vaginal uh, region, it was also for the back passage. And it wasn't until I was really struggling to walk, you know, it was really, I looked like an old lady leaning forwards because anything when my bum cheeks were clenched together was causing quite a lot of discomfort. Mm. And I found I was constipated as well, which didn't help having had obviously new trauma to the area plus all the medication to clog you up and then the fear of going to the toilet is real (laughs) so I was really glad I think it was seven or ten days when the midwife came for the second home visit following the birth and I said to her about my my back passage was more sore and then she had a quick look and she said for her personal um, from her personal experience excuse me she found that using things like and your soul suppositories were really, really useful. The external topical cream was really good. Mm. Things like sitting on a ring or two sort of rolled up towels to relieve the pressure and to take lactulose solution. And that was something that I wish someone had mentioned 10 days earlier. And I don't know why I didn't think of it. You kind of criticize yourself. You think, Oh, I'm a medic. I should know all this stuff. And it goes completely over your head when you're in the moment and you've got a newborn, but for anyone, everything
0: does when you've got a newborn,
1: (laughs) yeah. But for anyone post-birth that has any issues or you think you might have issues with going to the toilet, get yourself some Lactulose solution. You can get it from any chemist, get your partner to go out and get it for you. It was an absolute lifesaver. So that obviously kept my stools nice and soft. They were a bit more kind to pass. Mm. And um, yeah, the Anusol, both the suppositories and the cream really helped to soothe the hemorrhoids down to a point where then going to the toilet was far more comfortable and less scary.
0: So um, hemorrhoids are basically like little clusters of veins that have been distended from the pushing. So as you push down and bear down, they just kind of Low out almost, yeah. Um, and you can get them internally or externally, and they, the it they can be quite uncomfortable. Um, you can get like, um, a bit of blood when you're pooing Um, it can be itchy. Um, around the anus. Um, it can feel like you still need to do a poo when you've just gone. Um, and you can also get like mucus and things like that. And if, if you kind of palpate the area, you can feel like little lumps. Um, and it can just be quite sore. So yeah, it's it's something that can be fixed quite quickly with this anusol. Um, or if you've got like severe kind of internal and external it's something that you might be worth getting referred back to your gp or on on for um to the colorectal team i guess if it's yeah there. definitely
1: but i would 100% say try all the conservative management options as soon as possible and for definite for, for at least a couple of weeks to see whether it helps to soothe the the immediate you know discomfort because if you've already got vaginal issues having issues around uranus is not something else that you want to have to yeah to try. And-
0: exactly and if you've had any constipation during pregnancy which a lot of women have you might have kind of started part of the damage I mean every lots of people know that when they're pregnant they get varicose veins and all those sorts of things so like you know that whole system just gets battered when you're pregnant so yeah
1: and just to sort of say as well it's not to scare anyone this doesn't happen with everyone um it's you know a select few that experience all sorts of different symptoms but they do get better and I found that I think I had two bottles of lactulose, so that took me to about six or seven weeks post birth. And by that point, I was totally comfortable going to the toilet. I was far more comfortable walking around and bending, um, and you know, having a shower and everything. And by that time as well, the lochia, the blood, was pretty much gone as well. So I wasn't having to wear pads all the time, and that felt nice because I wasn't having this kind of thicker, damper environment downstairs
0: yeah and but also going back to the lactulose it is really important like if you're if you don't go to the loo you could give yourself constipation and then if you've got this kind of you know, stool that's really difficult to pass. You're going to end up bearing down a lot more. Which then, if you do have any problems with your pelvic floor or a prolapse or anything like that, you're going to cause much more damage to it. So, you know, it is really important with your nutrition and you know all those different things of making sure that you're protecting the pelvic floor. You know, you've just gone through nine months of carrying a baby, then delivering a baby, and then and it's you know assisted delivery in your case as well. Um, you know, you want to be looking after that pelvic floor and giving it as much at rest and, and making sure that you're not bearing down through it and not causing any more trauma or getting making any problems that you might have worse through constipation or, or protecting your you know passing a stool because it's painful or uncomfortable
1: yeah you absolutely want to avoid any kind of straining at every opportunity so the first time that you pass a stool if you have had those kind of issues downstairs is quite a scary time and they do recommend to support your perineum with um, a, a sanitary towel or some tissue paper just to give you the confidence but it is important to open your bowels like you say if you don't and you let yourself kind of get more and more constipated it's a bigger more horrible stool to pass whenever that time comes and lactulose is designed obviously to soften the stool and you can still help that with you know nutrition you can have you know good gut health things like probiotic yogurts and having some roughage as well to help the transition so things like flaxseed or or nuts in your diet and making sure you've got good fiber as well so fresh fruit and vegetables will also help as well but i think sometimes with all these medicalizations you could be as good as gold with the nutrition and you're still going to have some of those symptoms so these this is just something else that can just assist with that quite nicely and well, um,
0: what about feeding how did you feed Elias how, how did that go Yeah he was pretty
1: good actually so when we were in the hospital the first evening he must have been about two hours three hours old perhaps and I had one of the midwife assistants come in it must have been about 2am by this point because he was born just before midnight and she was a sort of a lactation specialist in her role essentially and she just you know picked him out of the cot he was fast asleep and said right I'm gonna make sure you're Okay, with your breastfeeding and how to latch on and what you're looking for. And she was excellent, you know, positioning and what to do and where to kind of line up the nose to the nipple. And thankfully, and I am really, really lucky, he took to the boob straight away. So we had a successful feed that night and he was kind of solely breastfed up until about six weeks. And then we started to introduce a little bit of formula from a bottle so that my husband could have a little bit of feeding time as well. And I was expressing, but they, you know, the suggestion is don't express too much before six weeks. And he was kind of getting a bit more ratty. And was it a case of, did he want to cluster feed or was he getting enough? And I wasn't sure. Mm. So um, yeah, so he was combi feeding for the best part of those last four weeks. And what is he now? 11 weeks. And he actually, he doesn't want the boob anymore. He just wants the bottle. So we've gone completely. (laughs) he's a little guzzler so we've gone completely 180 and i haven't breastfed now for about five days so i think my milk supply will probably dry up but he's completely happy on the formula and as much as there's a little part of me that's like oh it's such a shame he doesn't want me actually it's fine you know it's the old cliche of breast is best it's actually fed is best whatever they're having is going to be better than them not having it at all um (laughs) you know, and I'm happy that he, he had it to start with. He's had the colostrum. He's got some of my immunity in that initial breast milk and it's his decision, not mine.
0: Did you take probiotics because you both ended up on antibiotics, didn't you? Uh,
1: yeah. So I had IV, I had one lot of IV antibiotics. He had three. Um, no, I didn't, I didn't have any additional probiotics, um, at home.
0: No, I don't, I don't know a huge amount about it, but, um, just obviously, you know, from a kind of gut point of view especially for the babies as well you know stripping their gut pretty early on with with the antibiotics it's it's kind of just replenishing that it's I guess something you would probably speak to a nutritionist about Um, yeah
1: not something I'm I'm too au fait with all I kind of learned which I thought was phenomenal was that the initial well any time really that breast milk is adaptable so when your baby suckles you
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and the saliva is on your on your um boob essentially your body then will pick up information from that saliva and deliver what the baby needs. So if the baby needs a bit more, it'll fatten it up a bit. If there is an immune issue, then it will pass on more antibodies. So almost every feed, essentially your breast milk could be very, very different. Um, so I kind of just rested on my laurels and was like, well, whatever he needs, hopefully I'm providing. <laughs>
0: Amazing. And what about like, so obviously you're now quite far down the line. What about like um, the scar? Like have you done any scar massage on your episiotomy?
1: yeah so um anyone that's watching i would highly recommend after six weeks to go and get something called a, a mummy mot or a postnatal check and this is different to the postnatal check that you get at six to eight weeks with your general practitioner egp Um that's quite quick it's not thorough it's not specific it's not done by a, a pelvic expert so i went to go and see one of my friends and old colleagues. Um, not too far away and um, she did a full postnatal check on me and that involved a half an hour conversation on the telephone to understand my birth so what happened and she just got some general subjective history and then an hour face to face completely COVID secure you know lots of pp every possible health and safety box ticked and she did a vaginal exam she also checked my anus because i was talking about the hemorrhoids with her She checked for diastasis recti or the separation between your tummy muscles. And she also looked at some functional movements. So that means things like squats. How did I get up from the chair? How did I lunge? Could I do a sit up? You know, things that I'm hoping to go back to, she was looking at to give me an idea of where you're at, much longer I would have to maybe go before I could start returning to them. It was very thorough, um, really, really informative, even though being a pelvic health physio myself, I knew a lot of stuff, you can't see your own inside, you can't feel your own insides. Um, And it's really important I think to have somebody else do it for you. So you kind of lose that issue of, of trusting yourself and you've got a very objective view. And it was excellent after I'd been seen, she emailed me a summary of what the findings were and suggestions of what sort of pelvic floor exercises I should be doing. So the fast and the slow twitch, how many and how long for and which positions to do them in. She recommended because of the type of birth that I should wait to do high impact and running until at least 12 weeks postnatal. So, after the birth, which will be at the end of July, uh, January, which I can't wait for, start doing a little bit more
0: did she but give that, you kind of like some tests to do before you you know do you have to drink a certain amount of water do some star jumps see how that feels you know yeah not
1: so much the drinking but she started me off on a on a set pelvic floor exercise program and said you you want to be progressing to be able to do 10 second holds at least 5 um, times in standing with your legs apart and then oh. trying to encompass that with your squats and with your bodyweight exercises before you even think about going back to running. So there was a bit of guidance as to what to do for the future.
0: And then obviously if you do start running and you notice any dragging or pain or incontinence, then stop immediately and go back to her. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So anytime, you know, something that I've been looking into this return to running, I'm going to do the couch to 5k rather than start just running. I just want to see what my body can do. And obviously that adjustment isn't just to do with my pelvic floor. It's to do with my general strength, my cardiovascular fitness, my mentality. So I'd highly recommend the couch to 5k for anyone that's going to start off because it's been more than eight months. I think since I've ran, I think I I, last run I did was just before 20 weeks. It's been a very, very, very long time. And my body's changed massively in that time and I can't expect it to just pick up from where it left off and so it's important that you don't feel bad for starting a lot lower to build yourself up it's only going to be good in the long run i was going to say if you did experience any kind of um, leaking or incontinence issues or dragging heaviness or pain during those activities that you'd started doing then the idea would be to kind of Drop it down to a level where you weren't experiencing those symptoms and staying at that level for a bit longer to see if your body just starts to gain that strength and then adapt to being able to do a bit longer again. So rather than kind of stopping absolutely everything and going, that's it, I can't do it. Just bring it down to a level where you can. So if you were walking, I don't know, doing a 30 second walk and a 30 second run and then you stepped it up to 45 seconds running and you felt pain, then you'd bring it back down maybe to 30 and just do that for another week or so, and then reassess again. So you're kind of, you're not just kind of going up and coming down. We're trying to kind of keep on a, on a level playing field,
0: giving your body the time to adapt and, and
1: you know, and I come from a reasonable fit, healthy background, you know, I've prided myself on always being quite um, fit and strong. I've always exercised. I look after what I eat and it's surprising how much weaker you are all over, not just your arms and your legs and your abdominal muscles, but your pelvic floor and your general tiredness, you know, everything changes. So there may be a very, very small percentage of elite sportswomen who get back to elite sport very quickly, um, but they are a very much a minority in the average Joe. And, and need they're to also
0: like with a specialist team, with nutritionists, yeah. you know, like they are literally like, you know, being guided through every single step of the way to kind of get yeah. them there so you know they yeah it's, it's it's different kettle of fish but
1: as well as trying not to rush back you know listen to your body and yeah. you know for me having that mummy mot was really important because it's put the reins on me i feel now that i could probably go out and start couch to 5k i could have done after christmas mm-hmm. but i haven't because i've been advised not to And I think that's quite important. If someone in their professional expertise is suggesting from an examination that you need to give it X amount of time and then work your way into it, it makes you adhere a lot more to it. And then therefore there's less risk of you having any complications later down the line.
0: Yeah. And I think like, you know, rest is one of the biggest things that your body needs after, after giving birth. And I think, you know, in in normal healing times, like 12 weeks really isn't that long and, you know you've you've gone gone past the inflammation then your natural healing then you're kind of started remodeling all that sort of stuff and you know you've got to and then you've got to start to build the strength and that will come naturally as you say from your day-to-day activity even just the growth of your baby is going to be adding a natural load to your to your everyday tasks so as Elias gets bigger you know he's now nearly three months old which is crazy um you know um that's to be especially boys and um, you know, was massive generalization but they tend to be chunkier you know and like uh, you you know you, you're picking up a bigger baby like at the beginning they're you know a few kilograms and then the, you know they go up a lot more so yeah i think yeah
1: yeah, yeah he's what he's well i think the last time i weighed him was over a week ago and he was 13 pounds four so i've no doubt he's now hit the stone mark you know over 14 pounds you think you're lifting and loading a lot of weight a lot of the time And your body's not used to doing that, let alone um, having gone through the pregnancy. So it's a big change. It's a really big change. And I think just give your body's time as much as there's this kind of social pressure to return to a a wonderful weight and a beautiful physique. You know, the mummy body actually is amazing. And just let it have some time to to naturally adjust and just take your time with your recovery and listen to your body carefully. And 100 percent, no matter what birth you've had, I would highly suggest getting an MOT so that you've had a professional look and understand and give you a bit more appropriate guidance as to how to go about returning, whether it's returning just to being a full time mum or whether it's returning to becoming a marathon runner.
0: I think that's really good advice. Is there anything that you would tell your your pregnant self now, if you could think back to that, that point before you, you know, like when we last had our interview, what would you say to yourself then?
1: in terms of the pregnancy I was pretty happy with it all I'd say is just what will be will be have a birth plan because it's a really nice thing to follow if things do go accordingly and it's also really nice if your partner knows what that plan is so if you're incapable of suggesting what's on that plan because you're on another planet which I know happens as well then you've got someone else who knows what you want and you've discussed it together so definitely I would have a I'd still do the birth plan um and yeah just be open-minded to to what could happen I don't think it was too different to this time and I do think you know hopefully second time round, I'll feel a little bit more relaxed about everything even more so than I was this time and it certainly helps to have a chilled out husband you know everything was quite quite gentle on that front which definitely helps but
0: I love that you're already talking about number two
1: (laughs) Uh, no, that, is, that is a really good sign the first couple of weeks I was like I can't even think about anything else like oh my god and then I don't know you just kind of turn this corner and you appreciate yes it is difficult it's time consuming it's challenging it's lack of sleep it's a very very different routine but it's absolutely amazing wonderful and you just think well yeah some people only want one um, and some people want five or six it's the most brilliant thing that you can ever do and i I'm so glad I've joined the Mummy Club. I really am. It's taken me a long time. I'm definitely one of the last of all my different groups of friends. um but I have no regrets. you know my life has done a lot of box ticking prior to getting pregnant and having Elias, and I think actually, for me i'd I'd love to have number two. It's a discussion to have with the husband at a later stage, but I think i'd love I'd love him to have a little brother or a little sister at some point in the future before I get too old. <laughs>
0: Yeah, do you know what, it's the best thing ever, like my two are kind of at an age where, you know, they give each other little kisses before they go to bed and cuddles and they're just in the morning, Azalea's always like, can I go and see And You can just hear them giggling next door, it's the best, like it's so yeah. lovely. Obviously they kind of kill each other at the same time, but yeah, most of that, them are lovely uh-huh. together, really lovely. Oh babe thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story I think it's a lovely story you know even though again like we said it wasn't anything like your birth plan was it's um lovely smile on your face the whole way through telling it which is great and um, yeah you got a gorgeous boy at the end of it so well done.
1: Yeah you know like the whole birth was easier than dealing with Covid I have to say.
0: <laughs> so, and you know what you said at the beginning yeah it's a really challenging time and I think You've got to kind of just take what you can to keep yourself you know happy and try and make your days varied and I think what you actually said about the gratitude is it's you know it's a really big thing I think mindfulness and gratitude are really big at the moment because everybody is digging deep to just you know try and get through this and yeah. I think you're absolutely right if you kind of sit back and just think you know what god we are so lucky um, you know I, I'm sure that everybody can find something to be grateful for. And, um, you know, if you can kind of try and turn your negative thoughts to positive ones, um, just for just for a few minutes, it might make you feel a little bit better. And I honestly do think as well, like, you know, when you hold your baby or your child, there's nothing else that you can think about at that moment, you know, like as much as it's tiring and exhausting, but when you look into their eyes or when you kind of give them a little cuddle or they wake you up and you see them for the first time in the day, you know, It's incredible and I think really you know as much as it's rubbish not being able to see your mates this is such an incredible way to bond with your baby and I think you know if you can embrace that because when we go back to crazy life and go back to work and you know suddenly have a million things in our diaries all over again you won't get to spend this sort of time with your family with your husband your partner
1: and like you say to to be great I think doing a daily gratitude anytime, forever, is always a nice way to start the day. You know, what are you grateful for today? And I used to say it to myself, I looked like a random lady in the car when I was driving to work. I'd always do a morning gratitude because it just starts the day on a positive thought. Then it might be something so small, like I'm really grateful of my family. You know, I'm really grateful of this. But I have to say, you know, on a positive spin with the whole COVID and the pandemic situation, we've had, my husband's been at home, Mark's been at home the whole time. He's working from home full time. So he's had more contact with our son than he would have had normally and like you said not having too many visitors and too much um, you know busy starts to the new life we have had that time to bond and just to have a family and he's had more time with us to learn and to understand us facially and verbally and vocally so yeah absolutely where there are negatives there are there are big positives as well and there is just nothing like when the baby smiles at you it's absolutely heart melting it's wonderful.
0: I think um I think for the dads like it's mad like I when I drive and drop the kids off a nursery I see so many fathers out with their kids which you would just never normally see because obviously they're they'd all a lot of them would be at work and I think it's it must be great for the dads as well or you know and the mums to have their partners around you know like. It's I I never forget like the day when Phil went back to work I was like don't leave me with this baby (laughs) like you just think how am I going to survive and you know so yeah I think there's there's you know it's another pro yeah another little silver lining absolutely amazing well listen thank you so much
1: my pleasure it's been nice to sort of reminisce and talk through it again it reminds me of what the body's gone through and how far we've come and that
0: you know eleven weeks have passed since that crazy night. (laughs) Well, I hope you've enjoyed series two as much as I have recording them. It blows my mind how different each story can be. But the main thing that I hope you take from this, other than the importance of getting yourself informed about all of the possibilities of birth, is that you can still have a positive birth story, even if things don't go to plan. For series three, we're flipping back to expert advice. I'm super excited to be interviewing some interesting guests about a huge range of topics from contraception to pain management during birth and much, much more. Stay tuned.